I might abbreviate a little bit of what I have put down here. Um, so I, I hope this week has been a really good opportunity for people to share and receive love. I, I've told probably more people than want to know that I have been receiving a, a lot of care this week um, from Renee, who has maintained our life while I have been uh, out of action, which is a polite way of saying I haven't left certain rooms of the house very much. Um, so thank you to Renee for that act of love. Um, and that is a picture of goodness, and I was going to do three weeks on this, but then since we had that beautiful sermon last week that John shared, which was just a picture, I think, of what the goodness of God means for our neighbour, um, and that our neighbour is all people, I, I thought I would abbreviate it to two. So we're going to look today um, at our goodness, and as Lyndall said, next week we're going to look at God's. And I, I did this intentionally because that's the wrong way of looking at it, right? As Lyndall shared, um, we're meant to always be mindful of God's goodness before our own. Uh, only God is good, not man. Um, and we don't get an opportunity in those moments to respond because we have old, scary teachers. You know, surely a good God who makes us in his image might also make us good, right? Um, God who makes us in his image, must make us good. Um, but I think even more pressingly, the danger of sharing a message on goodness is the ways in which the Christian church has so often promoted itself as good while doing evil things. Um, so much of what is happening at the moment, I'm sure you guys are aware of this in our world under the name of faith, reminds us that Christians are less concerned with being good than they are with being right, I think. Um, and likewise, we are probably a little too familiar with the sense that uh, Christians are more comfortable as hypocrites. Do I need to be closer? Is that better? Yeah, whoa, there we go. Uh, acting holy uh, while being deeply judgmental and, and being more at ease with opposing things that we hate rather than fighting for things that we love. Um, but I thought this is the perfect place to talk to people about goodness, right? You know, surely in a church community, because um, we're all utterly unconvinced that anyone here is perfect. So, you know, if there's any judgment, we cast it on ourselves willingly. Um, who better to talk about it than a group of imperfect people? So there is this beautiful picture of community uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with that Jesus defines in his parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and I have something you can kind of click on, Dave. I don't really know what's this. I'm going to trust you with it. Um, do you remember this? Is this a silly question? Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? If you remember the, the Levite um, and the priest, neither of them love the man, right? They leave him beaten and bloodied, lying on the road, because they don't treat him as a neighbor. The kind of love is close, it's messy, it's costly, it's physical, it's this kind of thing, right? The messiness and busyness and loudness of church community looks precisely like this. We declare together as a church community that we are not alone. We are children of the living God. Um, I have this line here from one of my favorite writers, who is George MacDonald, who says that the love of our neighbor is the only door out of the dungeon of self. You know, that's the place where we believe our concerns and our desires and our worries and our hopes is what makes us us. But MacDonald reminds us that, no, we need to get out of the dungeon of self. We, not, we need to turn our minds to the great commandments of Christ, to love God, to love others, to love our neighbour. 
Um, in Galatians 5.13, Paul tells us, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Serve one another humbly in love. At the end of Mere Christianity, Lewis says, Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown out. Right? So this is what we're talking about. This is what community is. It's the freedom to love God and to love one another. To be set free, right? To love our neighbour and to serve each other in love. Um, so I'm kind of going to talk today about one line, really, which is, not, which is good for me because otherwise I'll go far. Um, which is a line out of Galatians which is called Against Such Things. There is no law. Do you guys know this? Um, and the reason that I wanted to talk about this line was kind of what Lyndall has already shared about. This verse stuck out to me um, when I was listening to somebody preach about the fruits of the Spirit. So do you guys know this? Is this familiar to you? It's this beautiful list of attributes that Paul connects to people who live by the Spirit, the people who live in the promise of Christ's death and resurrection. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does anyone have those memorized? Um, and then there's this little tacked on line at the end. Against such things, there is no law. So if any of you know um, this part of Galatians, Paul has spent um, pretty much most of what he writes distinguishing between ways of living, right? Distinguishing between laws. Living under the old law of Moses living under Christ Jesus, living by our flesh and living by the Spirit. Paul says elsewhere in Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Scripture operates in this way all the time. It has all of these um, kind of emphatic comparisons. You used to have to sacrifice, but then Christ came as the perfect sacrifice. You used to be separate from your father, but now you're in him. You used to living according to your own desires, but now you live like Christ, a servant to many, humble and generous. You were heading for death. Now you have the promise of new life. You were something, but now you're something else. Um, how many of you guys right now, out of curiosity, would say that you always, 100% of the time, feel like the new thing that you are, rather than the old thing? Okay, that's a good laugh for me. Um, so, so much of what our, our lived experience seems to rail against what Scripture tells us about ourselves, right? So much of us feels like the old creation. We haven't shifted over into these new characteristics. We haven't embodied the fruits of the Spirit. I'm not good. I'm selfish. I'm broken. I'm confused. I'm prideful. I'm pretty much my old self. Um, and Paul felt the same way. Do you guys know this? Uh, this is me almost being Anglican at this point, so I apologize um, um, for the non-Anglicans, and you're welcome for the old Anglicans who come through. Um, this is out of the book of Romans, and it's almost like you could pull open the Bible and feel the crease at this moment in the text. The end of chapter 7 says, and this is maybe for those of us who feel the old way, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I, 
I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Right? This is the frustration. And then you break open Romans 8. And Paul breathes and he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. We're not condemned because through Christ all those old attributes were crucified with him on the cross. Though their shadow lingers, they're powerless to condemn us. So I said I was going to talk about goodness. And I also said I was going to skip ahead. So, Dave, can you jump to Marilyn Robinson? Let's forget about Thomas. Does anyone know Marilyn Robinson here out of curiosity? This would be basically the thing if I was going to die and I met her in that final breath before I did, I'd be like, that was all right. This is okay. Um... Marilyn Robinson asks this question, and it's the opposite question that Lindell's teacher was kind of posing, you know, who is good, only God. Robinson asks instead with David in Psalm 8, who are we, right? Who are we that God would save us? And Robinson says this, the Hebrew scriptures everywhere can see, yes, foolish, yes, guilty, Yes, weak, yes, sad and bewildered, yes, resistant to cherishing and rebellious against expectation, and forever insecure at best in his vaunted dominion over creation. And how is this dignity manifest? Surely in that God is mindful of man and that he visits him. This is, after all, the major assertion of the whole literature. What is man is asked in awe that God should be intrigued or enchanted by him, or loyal to him. I love that. God loved us enough to visit us in Christ, to die for us that we might live. And that question has to resonate. Who the heck are we, right? And not who the heck are we like we don't deserve this, but who are we? What does God see in us that we don't? Honestly, what are we that God would love us so well? And of course, Christ's answer for that is really simple. He says, you're you're mine. And of course, for those of us who would reach out and take hold of that truth, for those of us who look to imitate Christ in our lives, to accept that extravagant gift of grace on the cross, to choose lives that are worthy of being sons and daughters of the Most High God, we are that new thing that we don't feel like we are. We're new creations saved in Christ, each day being perfected by Him. And even for those people who haven't made that same reach, Even to those that are yet to make the desperate cry to God, still they are lovely and singular and known and made by God. You know, that's what the Good Samaritan reminds us of. We're all weary travellers. And we have an obligation to other weary travellers, to the lowly and the least and the lost. Because we were once strangers. Okay, so back to that line. Again, oh sorry, not, not backward. Against such things there is no law. So there's the spiritual list of attributes that we all know. 
love, kindness, goodness, etc. These are the fruit of our new creation. They're evidence of our new lives, whispers in a new way. Our lives are not always marked by things like generosity or self-control or humility. But, and I was trying to explain this to Renee today, these are paths that are open to us. Do you get this? We do not always act like who we are in Christ. We do not always do good. Jan's story made that perfectly clear. Even though we were made to be good, even though Christ has rescued us from perfect from pointless striving. But Jesus and all of the New Testament seem to say this again and again and again. There are ways that you can live against which there is no law. The original law was there for restraint, right? It held back our desire to do evil, to succumb to jealousy or greed, to stop us from leaving God. And this is probably why so many view Christianity as a sequence of rules and prohibitions. These are all the things you can't do. And the old law was like that, but where new creations. The law is fulfilled in Christ, who lived the perfect life we never could, saved us from the impossibility of ever earning our salvation. Now there are things we are free to do against which there is no law. Do you get this? Like, we literally have the freedom to do unrestrained goodness. That's what this line means. It's not that there's a new law. It's to say that we are being made new and there are ways of being in the world against which God has no, <laughs> no problem, no prohibition, no restraint. Nothing is holding us back. What I say here is Paul is offering us a picture of unrestrained goodness, right? You are free to live a life that pleases God. That's what this freedom is about. It's not that you're free to live the kind of cushy recognition that you are a sinner in the hands of an angry God and only God is good and you are not. No, you're free to live in a way that pleases God. You're actually freed for that purpose. You're freed in order to live that life, secure in the knowledge that you're already loved, already accepted, already covered by his blood. Maybe this isn't as much of a revelation to you, but maybe I grew up in a particular kind of church. It was a miracle of recognition for me, because I am constantly confronted by my sinfulness, by my shortcomings, my obvious failures, my loosely held convictions that disappear seemingly uh, when I need them most, uh, my fear when I should be courageous, my weakness, when I want to be strong. Despite all of this, despite all of that, God made me to be good. Despite all of this, Christ saved me in order that I might be perfect. Those things I want to do, I don't. Those things I don't want to do, I do. Yet this much remains, because of his love, I'm good. I am a new creation. I am being fashioned into who I already am in Christ. Stanley Howellas has this line where he says that to learn to follow Jesus is the training necessary to become a human being. Philippians 1 verse 6 tells us, he who began a good work in you will carry it on until he's almost done, you know, kind of halfway there, he'll finish it later. No, it says he'll, he'll carry it on to completion. Christ finishes what he starts. 
and our trajectory is and always has been glorious. Open in front of us is the possibility of living a life that pleases our Father, a life against which there is no law. So in Ephesians 5, which I have here, um, Paul has this beautiful thing. And I'm not used to using this much Paul, so next week I won't. But he says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. And then he has this exquisite line where he says, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. You were darkness, but now you are light. You were dead, but now you are alive in Christ. Wake up, right? Wake up. It is day and there's new breath in your lungs. And what do we wake to? The promise of new life. The possibility of living a life that pleases the Lord. Now, can I say, not perfectly, of course. Not easily, obviously. Those of you who were here for my very first sermon to H3O years ago will remember that I have a a tendency to wander from this path. Um, And yet here I am, struggling from the old slumber of my past identity, my old imperfections, my old desires and fears, learning each day to accept my goodness in Christ and then to live according to that new hope that I have. Let me just pray really quickly. And I wrote these lines down, so it's cheating because it's not that like spontaneous prayer, but let me just pray very briefly. God, that today we would live in the freedom of a good life. God, that today we would love our neighbours as we see ourselves. God, that today we would see ourselves as you see us. God, that today we would live lives against which there is no law. Always with your help, with your forgiveness when we stumble, and your promise that you are making all things new. Amen.